welcome back. It's good to see you in the middle of summer. Thanks for coming, even though you're busy. I know you're busy. It's a little more relaxed, you know, in these days. We're just glad when you find your way here, because we know you're busy and you travel a lot. And It's just good to see you. Let's pray, and then let's have some fun. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. Okay, so all the things I forget to do. Carol Heidorn told me like two seconds, literally before I started last week, we'll take, a, 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 we'll take money for Russia, and then I didn't announce it. So she said, we'll just do it next week. She's away. Her dad is in failing health, so she went to see him. But if you have a couple of bucks, throw it in there. And who will take that? Martha, will you take the money? Because we haven't let you work yet, go to worship yet today. So, Oh, no, John's here. John will take the money. For Russia, whatever's in the basket, will you do that? Sorry? You have a system. Sorry, I didn't mean to get in the way of system. You know, it was the Pharisees who say, we have a law, and according to our law, we say. So, sorry, I didn't know that you had a system that was independent of Carol, which tells you how good she is. Directed by Carol, that's right. I should have, yeah, not. So here's that. Put the, mark your name down a hundred times so we keep attendance up. Um, okay, whoever, whatever you do with that, then do that. We'll send it to Russia at some point. Um, so let's see. Mark your attendance down. Give some money to Russia. Can anybody go to Grace School the next couple of days? Is Jan in here this morning? Where is she? There she is. Do people make their own way? You carpool them down? They dress for work? Do they bring anything? All of that? Okay, good. There's your answer. Talk to Jan if you want to go work at Grace School tomorrow. I mean, you couldn't do better than working at Grace School if you got, if you got the time to go. Go. That good? Tell you what to do. That's good. All right, what else? Anything else going on? You 20-somethings type at the Nelson at the end of the month, right? Start to talk to your friends because we know that your demographic needs short, repeated bursts, right? (laughs) Now, see, they laugh at you, but there's a reason they call it poke, you know? So, hey, hey, don't forget, Holly's cooking. Here we go. It's going to be fun. So start talking. It's in the blah, blah. You know it's in there. Okay, good, because we don't want Holly to cook. The stakes are higher when she cooks and put out tablecloths, right? If no, yeah, if we don't show up, so we got to be there. So, um, all right, what else? I'm actually looking for somebody who will do kind of a 40s and 50s junior joy group, so let me know if you want to be in charge of... Uh, hey, I said it out loud, okay, but it, I didn't swear when I said it. I was looking around. Are you 40 yet? You look like a good volunteer then. My wife will be 40 soon. You can talk with her. She wants to have some fun. I didn't. Hey, here's the thing. Sometimes, here's the thing. Sometimes things just pop out of my mouth. I don't even know what I'm saying. Karen Crawford, you're polite enough to raise your hand and not just shout out like everybody else. What do you want to say? Oh, sorry. That would be a Monday night, is that right? Yes. So a Monday night, right here at St. John. Yes. Karen buys pizza. And what room will you be in, friend? 203. 203. Um, so up the stairs, down the hall. 545 p.m. 545 p.m. Perfect. So if you want to come or you want to bring somebody along to that, 27th, call Karen. Okay, good. Anything else? All right, so this is just a little... Um, let her go, let her go, actually. Here's the thing. The, that's, the, that is as good as anything. I'm not even going to look over there. Here's, here's the thing. 
if you have kids that are comfortable enough just to like start wandering around, like there were two kids skipping down the aisle today after the Eucharist, you can't, here's the thing, you can't make that up. You couldn't get kids to skip down the aisle if you asked them to do it. It was the greatest thing. And one of them like took a left turn and was suddenly away from her family and was just kind of looking around. Like, but she didn't panic. It was like, yeah, this is my space and I'm home. You can't make that up, you see. So you create the sort of culture, the kind of space where, I mean, that's where, where kids feel welcome and then they always feel welcome, right? So let her, let her go. And the tip is on the marker, so you know what? There's very little damage that could be done there. Uh, it's all, it's all, it's all good. So that's very nice. Um, until somebody gets stitches, everything is okay. <laughs> okay, life's good. So what you're trying to do is, the, this Bible study just for these couple of weeks sort of looks like your devotions at home. And we talked about this idea of the Lectio Divina, which is making sort of a comeback. This notion of holy reading, where you take a text, you read it out loud, you think about how it applies in your life, you pray it and you live it. It's a very simple sort of thing. You sort of say, why would this matter in my life? It's one thing, you know, sometimes we get a bit crimped in our understanding of Scripture. We just think that, you know, if we read it, it magically sort of works out. Well, it's a very powerful, potent thing, but it doesn't work by force, and it doesn't make you do, um, make you do. Just as an aside, I need a philosopher. Now, the new vicar is a philosopher. You know, after the thing in Colorado, what I was curious about was that you know, there's this old thing, the great atheist protest about Colorado is if, 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 you were, if you're good and you see an evil about to happen, then you would stop it. And if you don't stop it, you're not good. I was just curious about that. I was, I was wondering, should I talk to the atheist? I would say, the sentence would go like this, God should stop any evil he sees. And then the atheist thing is, and if he doesn't stop it, he's not God and he's not good. Here's the thing. About the only thing that's a bigger evil than shooting other people is being an atheist. So with consistent thinking, anybody who would say that would say the first thing that God should do is make me believe. That would be my first gambit. And then if, uh, if an atheist is willing to let God make him believe, then we can talk about the next level down, which would be shooting other people. But the greatest sin is not to... Um, kill other people but to kill God. So it's just a curiosity, the notion that people want what they want until they don't want it. And that's how you know when you're God, you know. If you want something beyond what God wants, you've um, got an idol. And that's actually how First John leaves today. So, you know, what we usually want is God to cure the things we want him to cure, but we don't want him to cure the things that would, um, you know, which would... Uh, which would um, disrupt the way that we like to see the world. So, um, you know, always in your own things here. So we're, um, last week we talked about expecting nothing in return. Don't expect anything in return. You just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. That's the mark of being Christian, okay? So spin your Bible open to 1 John 4. And then you start to, um, what happens in 1 John is that it starts to sound like John the Gospel. Which would make sense. This is written, you know, later toward the end of his life when he's had to think about it. And what you see with John is, you know, he's a he's a pretty bright guy who then gets gentler and gentler as he ages. It's very nice to see. So the Gospel of John is very, you know, heavy duty, philosophical, this and that. See the world. See how all the dots connect. It's a very, it's a very rich fabric. 
But by the time John comes to, and of course Revelation on the other side is the same way. I mean, it's, it's that, you know, crazy stuff, the way, the, the way he puts things together. But in the middle, it's just him being pastor for you. So, um, you know, we went through uh, the beginning and then beloved, let us love one another. But then you get this um, verse 13. So 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. And if you think about that, you know that that comes um, around the text where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. Abide in me and I abide in you. And if you abide in me, I'll bear much fruit. And you remember that abiding word is not your work. It's not that you have to run there and stay. So the great thing about the baptism is that kid this morning got moved, um, Kinsley got moved from one place to another. Now she's in a new place. She's part of a church. And abide is the word for staying put. So her parents were kind enough to bring her to a place that put her into a new world. So now she's in the church. And the trick of being a Christian is staying where you put, you're put. It's a, it's a difficult thing sometimes. It's hard to love your enemies. It's difficult to you know, grow over the years. It's, it's hard to confess your sins. It's difficult to be generous. Those are not things that seem to make sense in the other world. But in this world where we're together, it just makes great, great sense. Because we see that this world, our world, the church world, is connected to you know, a bigger world with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. So you're living, you're living, you know, last week it was don't expect anything. Don't do it so you get something back. Expect nothing in return. And this week is the reason you do it, the reason you live this way is that you're a different sort of person put into a different world. Stay there and get better. And, you know, the whole discussion about get better means you're going to try to save yourself is off the table. You're in. You're part of it. You're in. You're saved. You're now more like Christ, you know, more kindness, more patience, more forbearance, all the sort of stuff that Scripture talks about. I mean, th these people are not reluctant to talk that way at all, that we would actually get better. There's, there's nobody in the New Testament or the Old Testament who gets cranky about that. You shouldn't get cranky about it either, nor should I. The first step is being put into the church. The next step is to live in it, rejoice in it, stay there. But stay there isn't a static command. If you connect it to John 15, where you're growing, you know, you're growing and you're being pruned and that's painful, but you still grow and you wince, but you carry on. And someday you become the sort of person you would never become if you weren't in the church. And you do things that you would never do if you didn't know who Christ was. And you live a particular life that you wouldn't leave if you didn't go to the Eucharist today. If you didn't have the touch of Jesus, you would never do crazy things like love your enemies, and pray for those who hurt you. You would never do that. I mean, those people who are going to grace school tomorrow are nuts. <laughs> I mean, just look at them. Because why would you do that on the hottest, you know, it's gonna, the hottest day of the year? Why would you spend three days, you know, doing, doing nice things for other people in a very poor part of town where you could get shot? And by the way, their skin color is different. Why would you do that? Well, you'd do it because... That's what Jesus says to do, because it's great to love other people. And if you've got two cloaks, give one to somebody else. And give and expect nothing in return. Staying, abiding, is not static. 
It's constantly growing. It's constantly increasing. It's constantly, you're looking around all the time saying, how can we do better? Not in a cranky way. And you're certainly not looking around saying, how can Diego do better? You want to take note of this now. So you, you, <laughs> you, you're, you're not saying all the time, how can Diego do better? That's not the, you know, how could the Clippers get better? How could they get, see, no, I mean, you're looking at yourself saying, how can I do, and then everybody sort of does that and it all sort of comes together. Make sense? So the other thing was don't expect anything in return. She's really free. You can just let her go. There's all kinds of people who'd love to pick that baby up and just give her a big hug. She's going to be fine. Really, just let her go. As long as she doesn't make it for the steps, you know, just let her go. Y'all just, uh, you know, form a fence back there at the door point, okay? It's going to be fine. You want her to be comfortable. I mean, she, should, you, she belongs to all of you and you belong to her. That's how it should work. She should be able to, you know. And if you do this when she comes to you, don't ever expect her to come back when she's 14. I'm just being serious, but if you do this, um, then when you see her, you say, hey, we love you and we miss you and where you been. You know, people want to come back. We need to make it possible for people to come back, okay? So all that is just in that little abiding verse, right? By this we know we abide in him and he in us. This is how you know you're in, because he's given us his own spirit, who always points to Christ. The Spirit doesn't ever point to himself. He always points to Christ. You're filled with the Spirit. You don't point to yourself. You always point to Christ. And we've seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. We know that too. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, that casts a very wide net. There's a very low bar for being a Christian. It can come in a couple of different ways, but one of them is people just say, Jesus is for me, or Jesus loves me. You know, often I have, um, not often, but too often for my taste, I have, you know, an aunt or an uncle or a grandmother whose kids, for whatever reason, decide not to baptize their kid. And they have this great trauma when the kid is still preliterate because they're nervous about the kid's salvation. And one of the great one of the great um, reliefs in their life is when the kid can say, I love Jesus or Jesus loves me, either one works, right? Because you're in. When you say, Jesus loves me, this is why, you know, it's really interesting. At the beginning in life and the end of life, pastoring looks very similar. At the beginning of life and the end of life, you're looking for just the bare minimum. You're, it's enough for people to say, Jesus loves me or I love Jesus, however it happens to come out. In the middle of your life, yeah, we're, and especially at St. John, at the middle of your life, we're pushing, 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 pushing because the world is getting darker and you people are light. The world is bland and you people are salt. You know, yes, in the middle we push, 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 move from milk to meat, grow up, abide, bear fruit, take your pruning, know that God doesn't want to destroy you. Stick in there, do some good, you know, help your family, help your friends, even love your enemies. So, you know, we have a very high bar for your active life. At the beginning and end of life, we have a very low bar um, because we know to be in, you know, to be in, it doesn't take much. But that's not the end, of course, that's the beginning, right? And that's that's how he talks right here. This is very sort of pastoral stuff. If you say Jesus loves me or you say I love Jesus, you're in. You can't say that without the Holy Spirit. So we know and we believe 
the love God has for us. God loves you. If you're struggling, and especially in your own spiritual life, when you struggle with darkness, when you struggle with temptation, when you struggle with sin, I mean, kind of the first thing I say when you come to confession or when you come chat with me is, start all your sentences with Jesus. When people come in and are so distressed, you know, I, you know, I, just, I just can't pray, I can't get this done, I've done this horrible thing, I can't believe I did this, um, I'm, I'm so depressed, I'm so dark, I don't know which way to turn, I'm consumed by this, I can't get better, I'm so frustrated. Whatever that is, you'll notice that all those sentences have the same character. They all start with, I, yeah, which is not, never the gospel. The gospel is always about what Jesus does to you. So the first remedy is to just start your sentences with Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus cares for me. Jesus pulled me in. Jesus baptized me. Jesus forgives me. Jesus loves me no matter what. Jesus prays for me. Jesus gives me work to do. Jesus helps me focus out. Jesus will always stand by me. The, the first remedy is to talk about Jesus and not about yourself. If you just do that simple thing, and you've heard us talk about it as letting Jesus do the verbs, if you just simply let Jesus do the verbs, I mean, Jesus starts the sentence. Jesus acts on me. Jesus touches me. Jesus baptizes me. Jesus gives me his Eucharist. Jesus wants me to be happy. Jesus will stand by me when I'm sad. Jesus knows the darkness I face, and he's there before I get there. When you hit rock bottom, Jesus is there waiting. That's what it means when the creed says, he descended into hell. It means however deep you go, Jesus has been there and is waiting for you. Jesus is always there so I can never say I'm all alone and nobody loves me. It's impossible to say that. It's just not true. I mean, you can say it. It's just not true. Okay? So in any struggle in the spiritual life, the first thing to do is to talk about Jesus. Yes, you can indulge your pain. Yes, you can recognize the troubles that you have. Yes, life is difficult. And frankly, if you try to grow up in the faith, you push against an evil world. The end of this chapter is about an evil world. The evil world is going to push back. Right? That's why Jesus tells the parable about you know people get really excited and then they fall away from church. They're here six months and boom, they're gone. Why is that? Because the world pushed back. And people aren't used to that kind of pain. They're not used to a pushback. They've been skating through their life because they look like the world. Suddenly they change and the world recognizes that and pushes back. That's what evil does. That's what the demonic does. It push, darkness pushes back against the light. Your confidence is that you stay on the side of Jesus who in the end has won all things to himself and eventually he sorts it all out. What you see is why well, you don't have to be vengeful, you don't have to be angry, you don't have to be worried. Because whatever you suffer, Jesus does the verb, Jesus sorts it out. Make sense? See? This is, this, is just, this is just basic stuff about how your life works. In this love, in this, is love perfected with us. See, we're getting better. He perfects it in us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. You know, someday we die. Someday we're judged. And it's the great, and I would encourage you to go read, and I can't remember if it's in the middle of 1 Corinthians 2 or 1 Corinthians 3, but he basically says, on that day when you're taken up to heaven, you're purified as by fire and everything evil, sinful in you is burned away and you enter heaven on judgment day, on your judgment day at your death or the last day, whichever comes first, you enter heaven with all the good you've done. 
and everybody rejoices that you were part of abiding in Christ and pushing back the darkness. There's this great welcome in heaven that recognizes the good that you've done. It'll give you something to talk about forever and ever, amen. Right? That's not why you do the good. It's a kindness because you've done the good. I mean, that's what happens here. You're perfected, 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 just as an aside, you know, um, so many ideas that we reject, we at least should give pause before we reject. So your Catholic friends who think about purgatory, you know, everything, everything has some, you know, there is some place, for example, relics. I mean, let's just, just for relics, you know, people, you know, you likely don't believe in relics, but you should just be careful because you know in Acts, when Peter walked by people, not Jesus, Peter, walked by people and his shadow fell on them, what happened to them? They were healed, right. So, you know, through other human beings, you know, things can happen. You know, in the same way, purgatory, the sense of purgatory, you know, you can compress it to a moment. In some sense, there is a purging. So I'm not arguing for purgatory. Don't send me cards and letters. It's summer. <laughs> I'm off. I'm just giving you, people aren't always as crazy as you think they are, because there is some purging of all the evil. Now, whether it's a very long time and whether you can, you know, people can buy you out of it, yeah, I don't think so. But uh, there is, in a sense, I mean, there is, in a sense, a purging. You don't, you know, right now, I mean, poor Kovic, he's a mix-up of really good things and really bad things. Well, at some point, like all of us, but at some point... You know, when he goes up to heaven, one of the great joys of heaven is all the bad things fall away. And he takes the good things in with him. That's a purging that's spoken about. This is what happens on Judgment Day. So you're perfected. You're trying to get better and better right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We never run on our own steam. We try to get better and better, more and more merciful. We say our prayers. We go to the Eucharist. It gets better and better. You know, here's the thing. I mean, just the climate in this room... You know, the climate downstairs for coffee. Um, you know, I was talking to my wife about this last night. We had a very busy day because there was church and a wedding and reception and all this kind of stuff. But we were talking about how I haven't heard anybody complain here in a month. There's nothing to complain about. <laughs> so you create a culture where people don't complain or don't need to complain, right? So it's very interesting. When you don't have that taken up your time, you actually have time to do other things. You're going to use your energy for something, right? Your energy is much better spent going to Grace School tomorrow than it is complaining about this or that. Real honestly, there's not too many of us in this room have anything to complain about. We have very, very fine lives in a very, very fine place. So here's the thing. That means God trusts us with a lot of stuff. He trusts us with time. He trusts us with money. He trusts us with energy. He trusts us with intelligence. He trusts us with education. If that's true, then what he's done is given us those things to steward, not just money, stewarding your whole life for the good of the church and for other people. we got a lot of work to do. The fun thing is, is that that's what people are talking about, and more and more that's what we need to talk about. You know, That's how the Lord can get some good out of us. It's a very, very nice thing. And the more you love each other, the more you care for other, you know, from letting little kids have the run of the place to, you know, consoling old folks as, as things, you know, fail and, you know, get difficult. And everything in between, the more we can do that, the more in service we can be to Christ and his church. 
You know, that's what we're trying to do. And someday the great victory is anything we didn't get done gets burned away. It's very helpful. It's a very helpful way. The Lord will sort it out. He will sort it out. He will sort it out. And so that's the only way you can live in hope. But you can live in hope if you know the Lord will sort it out. That's the gift, okay? So, um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So I had a couple once who said to me, um, you know, I let couples pick their own wedding text, and I had a couple once who picked this text, perfect love casts out fear. So if you're me, how would you start the sermon? Be very, very afraid. <laughs> because, you know, if you think you're coming to the altar and your love is perfect for each other and so you've got nothing to fear, think again. <laughs> I, always, I always, you know, brides and grooms don't do it, but it's always fun if they come back in six months and tell me all the things they learned about their spouse that they didn't know before they got married. So interesting what you learn about people when you live with them. They're so different. <laughs> right? But um, perfect love casts out fear. And so I give you this, and I, you know, I gave you one last week, but I, I really think this thing by Madeline Lengel, um, this really is a good thing because we often think we rebel against discipline because it's painful. And we rebel against di discipline because it crimps us. And so we think about discipline as a, as a bad word. If you talk to parents, if you are a parent, or the, maybe the best is the point when your child turns two, you suddenly realize the value of discipline where you never did before, right? So, you know, we don't necessarily like discipline, but, you know, it's a good thing. So I give you this thing, um, you know, that's at John 4.18. There's only one purpose for punishment, and that's to teach a lesson, and there's only one lesson to be taught, and that is love. So here's the thing. That means you can never punish anybody if you don't love them. Or you can never punish for a reason other than love. There's only, there's only one purpose for punishment. That's to teach a lesson, and the only lesson to be taught is love. If we were trying to teach one lesson here, if we were trying to teach one lesson here, if we could pick, if we could pick one thing for y'all, for me, for you, for us, for our families, if we could pick one thing, the one thing we'd want to be able to do is to love each other in all its facets with the robustness of Jesus, how Jesus loves us from the cross and the Eucharist. There's only one lesson to learn. That lesson is love. Yes, please. Yeah, so the question is, when we appear before the judgment seat, do we answer for the things we've done? Well, so we'll, we'll take her one step at a time. So you will, in fact, answer for what you've done. The $10,000 question is, when the Lord looks at you, does he see good and bad, or does he just see good? So the most Christological thing to say is when, when, when the Heavenly Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' name on your forehead. He sees, as Paul says, I bear the wounds of Christ in my body. He sees the wounded Eucharist inside you. I mean, it's not, an, it's not a different question than when people say, when I die, how do I know I'm going to be okay? The answer is, Jesus is inside you, and when the Heavenly Father sees Jesus, he will not destroy him. And if he's bound to you, 
you can't be destroyed either. Right? So when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Okay? Now, it's a, you know, it's a technical... I know some, in fact, I've worked with a couple of people who are terrified by the notion... I'll just up the ante for you. Are, are, who have this notion, have been told by their pastors, Lutheran pastors, that when they get to heaven, you know, their whole life goes on display for all of heaven to see. So there's some things you've done and I've done we wouldn't want to admit to ourselves. And it wouldn't be um, that much fun in heaven to have that displayed for every person who's ever lived in the church. <laughs> hey, the new guy is here. Let's have some fun. <laughs> you know, it just, it just doesn't work like that. It just, how could that be? How could that be? The question you have to ask yourself is, how could that be salutary? So I actually point you to this. There's only one reason for punishment or purgation, if you want to press it, for purging. There's only one lesson to be learned, and that lesson is love. So you'd have to explain to me, if such a thing actually happened to people, you'd have to explain to me how such a thing is an act of love and a lesson to be taught. Because in heaven, it's all love, and uh, the lessons are over. There's just continual growth in light and beauty and joy. So I wouldn't be concerned by that. Um, When the Father looks at you, I mean, if he's keeping score, your life looks like one thing. If he sees Christ, your life looks very different, you know. So, as in all things, once you're saved, your task is to listen to Jesus when he says, follow me, we'll look like Jesus. So you're always trying to catch up to Jesus, to be as loving, to be as merciful, to be as kind. That's a very different thing than saying, okay, Dan, you know, when you get there, sorry, but this sin you did when you were 12 is always going to stay with you. And everybody's going to have a go at you when you get to heaven. I just find a text for that. That's completely outside the character of Christ. I mean, what does Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? Who condemns you? And you remember, she does three things. Who condemns you? Is there anybody here to condemn you? No, the community is gone. Everybody's gone home. They don't condemn her. He doesn't condemn her. God himself is standing there. He doesn't condemn her. And then she catches on. Gee, the community doesn't condemn me, God doesn't condemn me, and then the next thing is, I don't condemn myself. And you see how he cures her of the three, the, three, you know, the three people who would kill us. We kill ourselves, our community kills us, and God kills us. Jesus erases all that. So you'd have to square up with that. How do you square up? How do you square that up with that? When Jesus says to her, there's nothing left to complain about, how can there be something to complain about, right? So, you know, forget that. Your sins are washed away, you know. When God sees you, he sees his own son, Jesus Christ, and he loves his son. And that's why Jesus spends his days praying for you. It's in Hebrews. It's also in Romans. We always quote the Romans text in Romans 8 that um, everything works together for the good of those who love God. But if you read that text, read the rest of the chapter, just after that, he talks about how the son is constantly praying for us, constantly interceding for us. You know, that just... There's, there's nothing that fits together with that. Right. I mean, it, when you put it that way, you can almost... So he said, are you saying then there's nothing to answer for? So the answer is yes and no. But first it's yes. Yeah. So the answer is... So now we're going to go all the way back to the first thing we did, which is... Your choice would be A, talk about yourself, I have to answer for this, or B... Jesus answered for it. Yeah, so Jesus answered for it. Now, the whole thing of the Christian life, okay? So now you're in. 
Jesus loved me and he answered for it. So now you're in. You're in. You were here. Now you're here, right? Now, your life is here, but you're trying to go here. This is being forgiven. This is what Lutherans really actually do screw up. Justification by grace through faith, yeah, it's the fundamental thing, but it's the first thing, not the last thing. Right? So you're here, you're in. But your goal is to, as the text just said, be perfected over the course of your life, right? So horrible things get purged away, and good things come in bushel baskets. So you have to shift the question. The question is not any more about when Christ looks at me, does he see my sins? No, he sees Christ. What does that mean? The text says, abide in him, grow up, bear fruit, be pruned, get perfected, love your neighbor, pray for your enemies, turn the other cheek, be generous, be patient, live in joy, come to church, go to the Eucharist, get your kids baptized. Every one of you can go on and on and on about this, and I'm not telling you anything like this. I'm telling you that's what the world looks like. And if you don't want that world, you can have the other world, but it is grim. The, the world outside the church is grim. But this, you have the chance, and don't waste your time. I mean, we've been together 15 years. You cannot waste your time. I'm going to drop dead, and so are you. The legacy that you want to leave is a place, a, a kindness, a love for other people that doesn't complain and doesn't whine and doesn't judge, but that is open, not standardless, that is open to the life of Christ, which looks much more like loving people than judging them, right? Does that make sense? And you create a culture in a church, any organization has a culture, you create a culture, you've all been in churches where that's not the culture. Just once in your life, you know, be part of something where the culture is about love and kindness and mercy and remembering the good that God has done for us, right? I know you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so here, there are some, so are there more levels of in? There are, there are things that lead us to believe that there are more levels of in. Paul says crazy things like, I knew a guy who got to the seventh level of heaven, right? Yeah. Or um, we think of saints as being more inner than we're in, right? right, right. But it, levels is a little bit mathematical. If you could just think about maturity, so you would say, your kids here? No, thank God they're not. Okay, good. <laughs> you're more mature than your kids. You're not as mature as your dad. Okay? You wouldn't sort of say levels about that, but you just say, you know more than your kids. Your dad knows more than you. It's just natural, right? Which is why, you know, just again in the church, the church is meant to respect people who are older because the church prays that with chronological age, Christian maturity comes to. Now, if people waste their whole life and they don't go to the Eucharist and they don't go to Bible study and they whine all the time, they don't grow up. Their, their chronological age goes like this and their Christian maturity only goes like this. The goal is that your chronological age goes like this and your Christian maturity gets like this, right? So that's what you're... So is it levels? I don't know if that's the most helpful way, but it does. it's a robustness. But you know this. Your, your Christian life often comes with action. It doesn't... So you want to be a generous guy, Dan? You want to... How, how, if I asked you... How would you learn to be a generous guy? How would you do that? A, you would sit around and think about it, or B, you would be generous, right? You never learn about being generous by thinking about it. You learn about being generous by being generous. And then you know what happens? 
you get a range of responses. Ouch, that was really painful, I'm gonna keep going. Or, gee, that was really easy, I never thought it would be that good. Or, gosh, maybe at 10% I'm not as stretched as I could be, maybe 12 is my number. Or for some of you, 30 is the number, you can talk to me later. <laughs> or, um, you know, but you, you, you go through this, but, but, but what you don't say is, what you don't is, is automatically invoke, well, you know, well, I'm saved by grace through faith, so I'm going to go out and live any life I want. There's none of that in the scripture. That is nowhere in the scripture. There's not one verse for that. There's not one verse that says you can be saved, and if there is, you find it for me. There's not one verse that says I'm saved, there so I can, therefore I can do anything. The text, text after text after text, these are pastoral epistles. These were these were sermons that were read. They would say, we got another letter from John today, and they would have the liturgy, and they would read it before the Eucharist. You know that because five or six of them end with, greet the brothers with a kiss of peace. That was the kiss before the Eucharist. That's how you know. That's what the kiss is. It's where we stand up and shake hands. They used to kiss each other. You're a bit shy for that. <laughs> But that's how you know that it fit. That's how you know what these were. They would wait and they would read them again and again and again. And they would copy them, you know, so down in Naperville they could have it too. John, send us a letter. You want to read it? We'll make you a copy. That's, that's how the scriptures got written and transmitted. There's a question somewhere. Yes, please. I'll come right back. So go ahead, David. Go. Okay. Right. But the first word is love God. Yeah, and love God, it's do as you please inside the body of Christ or inside the circle of your baptism or inside the grace of the Eucharist. It's not do anything you please. It's do as you please inside here, right? Which means find the place where you can do the best, right? Nathan. Yeah, good. Standardless love is the way of the world. So you love people regardless. So here's the thing. I'll just give you an example. Um, you're of the age where you know a heroin addict or two. Uh, or you have gay friends, which um, people my age have gay friends, they just don't know it. You and you. I mean, they do. It's true. I mean, but here's the thing. And it's startling, uh, both college friends and high school kids now, they have openly gay friends all the time. They're in our house. They're in your house. You know who they are. You've got to decide right away, is that going to be an issue or not? It's the same way with drug use. You know, there's some drug use. I mean, this thing of, you know, in DuPage County, is it 24 people have died of heroin overdose this year already in the county? You know this, right? So it's everywhere. Um, standardless love would just be to say to people, hey, do whatever you want, okay? Um, to love them in the way of Jesus now, pause, does not look like, you're an idiot, you're not like me, and you're really bad, and our church is really good, and my family's really good, and you stink. Hey, you want to come for dinner? It doesn't look like that, okay? And if you think it looks like that, that's the reason people don't come to church. It looks more like Jesus made you, Jesus loves you, so I love you too, and let's see where that goes. So there, love with standards doesn't mean aggressive, judgmental, whip you into shape, make more demands. Because here's the thing. Well, I mean, we aren't all where we need to be yet, so why would we demand of other people they, where they need to be? And if you, it's like having schools. If you kick out all the bad students, you have really good test scores, right? <laughs> Mister, if you have an all-white, English-speaking, only rich kid school, your test scores go way, way, way up. But if you let everybody in, what happens to your test scores? 
doesn't mean you stop teaching. It means you let everybody in and you love them into what they're always meant to be. And here's the thing, over the course, it's going to take, a, a, you know, uh, it's going to take time. You know, I have, I have uh, gay friends from college who, you know, I stay in touch with. It rubs and there are things that happen that probably opportunities get denied and things don't always work out and it's difficult and, um, but they're still my friends and they know I love them. And, and if you don't love them, who's going to, if you don't love them and you're not Christ to them, who's going to love them and who's going to be Christ to them? Yeah, right. No, exactly. You've got, that is another way of doing it. But you have to love people. And here's the thing. It's easy. This is the thi- I mean, it's easy to single people out who are drug addicts or homosexuals, something like that. If you just sort of moved across the room this way, like that world record time thing does at the Olympics, <laughs> you know, if you started talking to every last person, here's the thing. Here's what you need to know as a young guy. You're old enough, so I'm going to tell you you're of age. Everybody to your right has got something going on. It's just that it's not as obvious. Yeah, they're to your left. Uh, <coughs> fourth commandment. But everybody to your right has got something going on. Right? So why would we act like when things are more public than other? It's always, it's always the girl who gets pregnant, who gets, everybody goes like, oh my, you know, here's the thing. That's just the girl who got caught. The kid who gets pulled over for drinking in Wheaton, you're all like, oh, geez, is this in the paper? Here's the thing, man. Would you like to know how many high school kids are drinking? You want to go to church? Yeah. You, would you like to know many, how many high school kids are drinking in Wheaton? Like, let's just catch them all, and then we can get a really good idea of what's really happening. Right? And you're young enough to know what I'm talking about, and I still have kids in the house, so you know, I get a little glimpse of it, too. We aren't standardless. Christ is the standard, but it's a cool standard. It's like loving people without expecting anything, punishing people with one lesson in mind that they live in love and learn to love, that you can say, uh, it's the atheist thing from the beginning, you know? Like, what, you know, the, everything is not okay, you know? But there's a way to say that that doesn't destroy people. Because so often our reflex is we want to destroy, we want to be better, we want to judge, we want vengeance. Pick what thing you want, right? None of that is in Jesus. And if you don't believe me, just read the text. Find how many texts you can find where there's vengeance for Jesus. A couple. He curses a fig tree. He gets cranky and, you know. Very difficult to find a place where Jesus is cranky. And when he's cranky, it's very difficult to find a place where he's actually trying to destroy people. He instead lets himself be destroyed. That's what Christological love looks like. It's not standardless. It's at the highest standard. It's ordered. It's divine. It's a gift. But it is not crushing people all the time we got to go. Next week, Peter wants to sing. We're going to go in the sanctuary, are we not? He's left already. Go to the sanctuary. Uh, love you. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.